everybody. On today's podcast, we have a special guest, Dr. Susan Daniels, who is the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services National Autism Coordinator. I am going to let her tell you all about what she does and what's exciting in her office. I've invited her here today to discuss the IACC strategic plan. So she's going to talk more about the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee, which is the IACC. It's a federal advisory committee that coordinates federal efforts and provides advice to the Secretary of Health and Human Services about everything autism. It includes public members like me and also representatives from federal agencies. The federal agencies also separately coordinate and share activities in a separate group, and I'll let Dr. Daniels talk about this. So the IACC is actually a group that is authorized through the Autism Cares Act, which many of you know is coming up for reauthorization soon. So every four years, the group gets together and considers the scientific and programmatic priorities that the federal government should be aware of as important and puts it together in a strategic plan, which we're going to talk about. Now, funding agencies like ASF and Autism Speaks and Simons, and I'll only talk for ASF, try to align their funding activities around the strategic plan so people aren't duplicating efforts. In the case of ASF, we specifically try and do things that other groups are not doing or gaps in different activities. So Susan, or Dr. Daniels, is the guru of the IACC. She came to speak at our day of learning a couple of years ago, and I think I called her Switzerland of the autism world because she listens, considers, and her office stays neutral because she ensures that all voices are heard, all opinions are represented, which is not an easy task. I have some specific questions for her, but first, Dr. Daniels, please tell us about yourself, your role as the National Autism Coordinator, and what the Office of National Autism Coordination and the IACC does. Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about this. So yes, I'm the National Autism Coordinator and I was appointed into this position in May of 2023. And I had been the acting National Autism Coordinator for a couple of years before that, and even earlier between 2017 and 18. So I've been in that type of a role for quite a while. And this role was created by Congress in the Autism Cares Act of 2014. And the responsibility of the Autism Coordinator is to ensure that uh, federal agencies are implementing the IACC strategic plan and to add coordination and facilitate communication among the agencies and to ensure that there's not duplication of effort across federal agencies. So those are the primary responsibilities of the coordinator. Uh, role that I've had for even longer than that is the role of the executive secretary of the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee, which is, was established in law in 2006 and actually came into being in 2007. And I came on board in 2008 and started working with the IACC just as they were about to publish their new strategic plan, which was the first strategic plan in the world for autism. And it's uh, something that we're very proud of for our country that we've had a strategic plan in place. And this is now we're in the ninth edition of our strategic plan. And that's allowed it to evolve as different issues continue to emerge from the community. And the IACC is a really unique kind of a body that um, is a federal advisory committee put in place by the behest of Congress under the Autism Cares Act or the 
in, initially the Combating Autism Act of 2006, to collect feedback from the public that can help inform federal agencies about what needs to happen. And because we're getting information from people who are living that experience of autism, whether as family members or people on the autism spectrum, also providers, clinicians, researchers, and other people that are in the community, sharing with the federal government what are the needs that they see, what are they experiencing themselves, and what they feel are the gaps that need to be addressed. So this committee plays that very important function, and we have also wonderful membership from many different federal agencies and departments, and their representatives are there each time that we have a meeting. And it gives a, a point of contact between the public and these federal agency officials that are making important decisions related to autism, which is uh, a great opportunity. It's not something that happens for every condition that say the NIH works on. Uh, not all of them have a special committee like this that allows that interface, which I think has been really beneficial to autism research and services over the years. And maybe thirdly, you asked me about my office. So my office is called the Office of National Autism Coordination. And it was originally, it was earlier the Office of Autism Research Coordination, and we just adopted a new name uh, when I came on board as National Autism Coordinator. And this office's responsibility is to support the IACC and also to support the National Autism Coordinator. And the people that are on the staff within the ONAC are all really dedicated to autism. We have nine staff and we work full-time on autism providing all the support for the meetings, all the things that you see on our extensive website, all the different kinds of publications and documents. Uh, they do a great job preparing me and preparing the community and preparing the uh, Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee to be successful. Um, and one other structural piece that I'll mention before I, I get um, toss the ball back to you, Alicia, is as National Autism Coordinator, I also run a group called the Federal Interagency Workgroup on Autism, which is an all federal working group that we voluntarily put together so that as National Autism Coordinator, we can take, I can take the information that the IACC is providing and work with federal agencies behind the scenes on addressing issues and implementing what we've been hearing from the IACC and the community, and we can all get together on a regular basis. So in all, we're getting federal agencies together at least six times a year to work on things and probably more. I, I usually do call extra meetings as well. So uh, this has been very beneficial to trying to move the needle on a lot of important issues. So I will give it back to you, Alicia. That's my introduction. Mm -hmm. Thank you. There, there is something that I want to reiterate is that this sort of office does not does not happen for every condition, right? There's not a, you know, ADHD Office of National ADHD Coordination. There are certain institutes like the National Cancer Institute that focus on some, but the way that the, that the federal government works and also private agencies work, right, is that there isn't just one institute. You have the National Institute of Mental Health. You have the National Institute of Child and Health Development. You have Environmental Health Sciences. 
you have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, you have the Centers for Disease Control, you have the Department of Education. So before I list them all, there's a lot of different federal organizations that are doing things within autism. And it's really important that there's a coordination of this effort, and that's what your office does. And as Dr. Daniels mentioned, it's actually only authorized through something called the Autism Cares Act, and that is coming up for renewal. And in the podcast summary on asfpodcast.org, I will put a link to a group that is helping mobilize and organize efforts around the um, Autism Cares Act. This is kind of a critical time for um, the reauthorization and a unique position that autism is in to have something like this because not all disorders or conditions do. We did talk already about what the IACC is, but what um, what are they authorized to do and what are they not authorized to do? Because I think that there's sometimes some confusion about what the IACC does and what their powers are. So if you could get into what they do and what they don't do. Yes, so the IACC is a federal advisory committee that's governed under the Federal Advisory Committee Act. And any federal advisory committees that are under this law called FACA are advisory only. So they are not allowed to implement activities so they can't zoom into agencies and tell them exactly what they have to do, but they provide advice at a higher level. And so federal advisory committees get together on a regular basis, whatever is required in their charter, and or they're usually allowed to have more meetings if they want to, but they usually have a minimum number. Uh, for the IACC, we have a minimum of two a year, but we've always been doing more than two a year. We usually do three to four. And um, under this, the federal advisory committees are able to formulate advice. So they take in public input and then form that advice. And something that's also unique about the IACC in comparison to some other federal advisory committees is that our federal officials are full voting members of the IACC. And um, this increases their participation and also the collaboration across the IACC to try to develop advice that also is going to be effective with federal agencies because you're getting that type of input from federal agencies that help bring realism to some of the types of recommendations and there's a back and forth communication. In my opinion, that also brings something special to the IACC and makes the advice more actionable. So it is advisory only and then the implementation of that advice is carried out by agencies and Congress putting a national autism coordinator in place strengthen that because now as coordinator, I'm able to get people together on a regular basis to keep us going on implementation pieces and addressing gaps. And I think that has strengthened the entire effort. And I just wanna be clear that the IACC is advisory. There's a misconception in the community that sometimes the IACC has a pot of money that can be spent on specific items of priority, and that's not the case. There is no spending authority of the IACC. It is advisory only. So I just want to make sure that everyone is clear on that. Yes, you're right. So the IACC can recommend uh, budgetary requirements, which is actually in the law that they can make a recommendation about it, but they are not in charge of the money. They 
do not allocate funds. So funds for federal activities come from Congress and each agency is appropriated funds and they work with, within their appropriations to get things done. So the agencies, as they receive their appropriations and they hear about the advice that's been given by the IACC, within that agency, they can make decisions on how they might spend money to try to fulfill some of these recommendations. So thank you for clarifying that. Well, I, I'm clear. Yeah, thank thank you because I, I get questions about about why IACC isn't spending X amount of money and that's not our role. But one of the roles of the IACC is to develop a strategic plan to not necessarily to advise, but not necessarily instruct um, where money gets spent um, going forward. So it's again, more advisory. Um, and the latest iteration of that strategic plan has, has been released rather recently. So can you tell us about the purpose of the plan um, and the intent of the plan and how it's used? Yes, so the purpose of the plan is to provide recommendations around issues that uh, are re relevant to the autism community that need to be acted upon by federal agencies and also private organizations are able to use this information as well to inform their priority setting. So the ICC identifies priorities that they've collected from public input, whether it's through public comments or running requests for information from the public. And also ICC members, the public members bring in their lived experience, their experience working with various organizations or personally in research or in their profession. And they bring that all to the table in creating these recommendations. And so this plan, once it's put together, it contains recommendations around different areas that the, the IACC has decided as um, their structure for the plan. So the IACC strategic plan has seven key areas that have been identified since the beginning of the plan that originally were based around research questions because the first IACC in 2006, um, that was a, a FACA committee, there was a version of the IACC that existed before then, but it wasn't organized under FACA, it wasn't a chartered federal advisory committee. Um, the strategic plan objectives or the, the questions of the strategic plan were around screening and diagnosis, the biology underlying autism, genetic and environmental factors, services, interventions, lifespan issues, and research infrastructure and surveillance or prevalence studies. And so those were the seven areas that were identified early on. And the ICC strategic plan has kept that structure over time because my office is also involved in tracking research funding and we categorize the funding according to those seven categories. And because we're, we've been doing that over many years, it's somewhat beneficial to keep those seven categories so we can have data that span since 2008 and we can continue tracking where the funding is going in that way. But the new strategic plan that the IACC put together also added some new um, sections. So there are a couple of cross-cutting recommendations that came into the strategic plan, including one that's around equity-related issues. So around racial, ethnic, geographic, um, also sex and gender, although I'll say that there's another cross-cutting uh, 
recommendation that's specifically on sex and gender, but to make sure that various communities uh, across the United States are receiving uh, the type of information they need and also being included in the consideration of the priorities of the strategic plan. So that was really a great accomplishment of the latest committee to, to elevate those. And they're called cross-cutting because every one of those areas I mentioned before, say diagnosis and interventions that you wanna be considering uh, girls, women, and other people of various genders when you're developing those so that they will be relevant for those populations. We also uh, wanna be considering people across many different communities that may be from other cultures or have other needs for tools to be tailored for them to make sure that we're reaching people in those communities, they're getting access to all the services and supports that are needed. And so the IACC this time around just elevated those issues more and they were mentioned in previous strategic plans, but now they uh, have a different layout that makes them more easy to understand across the entire strategic plan. Something else that was new in the strategic plan was a look at the impacts of COVID-19 on our community. And there's a lot of ongoing research on this and we know that there are going to be many findings and lessons learned about what worked for us during the pandemic and what didn't work for us, what um, may have been setbacks that we need to address now. So the IACC wanted to make sure that we are taking this as a learning opportunity to try to assist the community where it's needed and be prepared for future emergency situations. So I'm gonna put a link to the actual strategic plan. Well, actually what I'll do is put a link to the page because you guys have done an amazing job of having the full plan and then also having an easy to read version. So if you um, don't have the ability to read every single word, um, and you want to just get the the top lines, there's an easy to read version, which is great. But um, let me give some the, the listeners some ideas about what are some of the recommendations. So there are things like um, reducing disparities in early detection and access to services, looking at the underlying biology of co-occurring conditions and understanding the relationship of these co-occurring conditions to autism. Um, supporting large-scale longitudinal studies to look at the autism across the lifespan. And so that's something that ASF is very, very much behind. Um, looking at environmental factors and gene-environment interactions. So how do they interact? How do they work independently? Um, and then also developing and improving pharmacological and medical interventions, as well as psychosocial, developmental, occupational, and educational interventions. So building more and improving what's out there. Um, and also supporting things like um, improving physical and mental health across the lifespan, things like reducing mortality, improving safety, and enhancing health and well-being. These are a couple of them. I, I'm not gonna list all of them because they're gonna be in the podcast summary. But how do you, if you don't mind giving us like a quick overview, your office really does the bulk of the work. The IACC literally gives you things to put in and just downloads to you guys and you guys kind of create this plan and then send it back for constant revisions and updates. Um, so tell us how the sausage is made a little bit. Yes, and so that's the latest uh, type of a, process that we used 
to develop the strategic plan. In past years, there have been times where we had different smaller working groups across the committee work in different groups on different chapters of the strategic plan and actually engage in the writing. But what we found was that there was often a lot of post-processing when you have, say, you could imagine several different groups writing things. Everyone's going to write it in a different voice in a different way, and there are going to be overlaps. And also something that we found out with the last couple of committees in particular is that pretty much everybody wants to be involved in all the topics. It wasn't like every there were people that said, oh, I really am only inter interested in interventions and really not interested in diagnosis, or I'm only interested in these services and not others. Everybody seemed like they wanted to weigh in on everything. So we decided to just do it as one group. And we used a series of surveys with the committee to try to get the committee's iterative input. As we developed things, we did a request for information to the public to bring in a lot of information from the public about what their experiences and needs and um, desires were in terms of where we should go with the strategic plan. But we did have our internal team work on developing the language so that it's more uniform form from the get-go and we don't have to go back and edit it a lot to make it all sound like it's a smooth document that flows properly. Uh, and we found that that was a, a good process in terms of the efficiency of getting it done and trying to get it so the whole plan flows and that there aren't redundancies in the plan. Um, but it importantly, the new plan also is a plan that according to the Autism Cares Act of 2014, addresses not only research, but addresses services and supports. And so with each of those categories, say diagnosis, in that chapter, you're going to find not just research rec related recommendations, but these recommendations can also apply to things like access to the services for diagnosis um, or addressing disparities in how people are getting uh, identified with autism. So we wanted to make sure that those different services and support and policy issues that are related to all those topics are incorporated. And in 2014, Congress also added four new departments to uh, federal departments to the committee, including Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Department of Justice, the Department of Labor, and the Department of Veterans Affairs. And we all already had Department of Education, Department of Defense, and many different agencies from the Department of Health and Human Services, including the NIH, the CDC, and others. So the plan now has more information about some of those other topics, including housing, which we've known for many years is very important to the community, justice issues that have been emerging. And actually, our last IACC meeting had a feature panel um, on justice issues in the community. So this plan had more information on some of those other topics and is, is becoming more and more integrated and comprehensive. And I would say as National Autism Coordinator at this point, I have been working with 30 different agencies across our federal government that have something that they're contributing to the disability and autism space. And that number keeps growing as we find out that there are other agencies that are getting interested in disability issues and also say issues like neurodiversity hiring and things like that. And so as National Autism Coordinator, I'm trying to bring everyone into coordination and making sure everyone has 
access to the information they know about the IACC and what's being recommended there, and that we can build collaborations and partnerships between agencies and also with the community. Yeah, and it's also not, um, so two things I wanna say is first, it was really important as a, as a member of the IACC for your office as kind of the neutral party to write and smooth the, the ideas because everybody was just, everybody has their own, like we all are interested in everything, but we also have our own priorities. And so it was really important for a neutral party to say, okay, this person may think this is the most important thing in the world. This person may think this is the most important thing in the world. How do we, um, how do we bring them together and how do we ensure that everybody's most important thing in the world is represented? And the other thing that happens at the IACC is um, in addition to the IACC meeting, there's the opportunity for public comments. So the public, anyone who would like to say something and bring an issue up to the um, IACC um, and have a discussion about it can submit a public comment ahead of time. So members of the public who aren't part of the IACC still should feel empowered to communicate their issues, their concerns, and their um their ideas to the, the, the committee through the public comment period. Absolutely. And those comments, every one of them is read carefully by our team and we make sure that the IACC receives them well in advance, which is why we put our deadline a little bit early so that we can process all those comments, get them into a format that the IACC can read and get them out to the committee. And I know that many members of the committee are very eager to receive those public comments before committee meetings and spend a lot of time reading them and considering them. And the ideas that are shared filter into various parts of our work. So we really appreciate that people continue to write in and we encourage you to keep doing that. And also since the pandemic, now we are doing virtual comments so people from across the country can join us on a video conference to the committee and share verbally um, at the meeting that way. So you don't have to fly in anymore and worry about travel costs. You can sign up to give an oral public comment. And we only have so many spaces for the oral public comments, but we try to distribute them and make sure different people are speaking to the committee at various times, but be assured that these comments are read and very much considered by the committee. Um, Another couple of comments I do have about the strategic plan and how it has evolved with this latest iteration is that there was an emphasis of the committee about making sure that the federal government and partners are really considering solutions for people across the entire spectrum, including people with the highest support needs and um, people with a variety of needs across the entire range of abilities and disabilities. And so that was a thought for everyone as we worked on the strategic plan draft. And that's a theme that comes across. Also, there was an emphasis of the committee of making sure that we're considering the entire lifespan. And the committee spent some time talking about older adulthood, which is one of the areas that probably has the least uh, body of work on it so far, but needs to expand more so that we can make sure that we're addressing needs as people get into older adulthood. Um, and Alicia, you mentioned co-occurring conditions and that's a push of the committee right now. We just ended a request for information to the public about co-occurring conditions and are planning to issue a special report on this topic. 
which has also been a perennial topic that was brought forward to federal attention by the IACC many years ago through comments of a public member bringing this up in, a com in the committee. And at the time, there really wasn't much of a body of research around co-occurring conditions. And there were even doubts about, are these real? Are these being experienced by many people? And the IACC decided to elevate this and put it in the strategic plan. And although it takes a while for some of these things to filter in, now we have a really robust body of research around co-occurring conditions and know that people on the autism spectrum experience a wide variety of conditions uh, that impact their daily lives. And we're committing to trying to look for solutions for those conditions and ensuring people have the information and resources they need. I believe we circulated that. So hopefully people um, we circulated it over social media. Hopefully people responded. Um, I know of a couple of groups that responded. So hopefully you get enough responses, but not, but not so many that it's overwhelming. Although, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe you get all in the same direction. So, and you're right. I mean, people kind of think about these co-occurring or comorbid conditions as being separate from an autism diagnosis, right? So it's not part of the core features of autism, but at a certain point when a, when a large proportion of the autism community experiences similar types of these conditions like GI, I want to say GI issues, but they're more serious than issues. They're, um, you know, things like impaction and um, motility issues and things like that. Um, and also seizures, they, they you know, that they, they become part of, part of, the lived experience of people with autism and they can't just be ignored or just passed off to, to other communities. So it's, it, it is important to address those co-occurring or comorbid conditions, although it does get a lot of, of um, discussion about whether these things are actually part of autism or whether or not they're kind of a condition separate from autism that shouldn't necessarily be addressed um, by this group. So um, I look forward to seeing what, what comes out of that. Um, one thing you did touch on was um, that you keep track of research funding, right? So one of the things that happens is where has money been spent and what discoveries had been made so that we can build upon those findings and say, okay, there's these exciting findings in this, but maybe some more money needs to be spent in this area. And one of the ways you can do that is track the money that's been spent over the years, and this includes federal funding and includes private funding like Autism Speaks, Autism Science Foundation, the Simons Foundation and other organizations. So how important is that report and those graphs? I know they're highly cited. People say, oh, too much money is going here. Not enough money is going here. Do we know enough about this because excellent amount of money has been spent here, but then we've also made all of these scientific advances because of the research poured into these particular areas. So how important is that kind of picture of spending in terms of how the strategic plan is formed? Well, that has been an effort that the IACC really prioritized from the very beginning. So when they were developing the first strategic plan, they wanted a portfolio analysis or an analysis of the research grant funding um, across the federal government. And they also made the decision to regularly include private organizations because in autism, we're really fortunate to have so many wonderful private organizations that are 
providing significant funding on autism. And so the committee felt that even though for the purposes of a federal advisory committee, perhaps you might only think that you need to look at the federal funding, but we would have an incomplete picture if we weren't looking at private funding. So even though it's a bigger undertaking, that was something that was really important to the committee. So from the get-go, we have been taking in information from private organizations and the list of private organizations is growing uh, as new organizations are coming online and starting to do things. And also various private organizations are stepping up to try to be a part of our portfolio analysis, which is giving us an even more comprehensive picture of funding. So since the 2008 portfolio, we have been tracking autism research spending across the whole United States. So all the different federal agencies that have research funding, as well as private organizations like the Autism Science Foundation, Simons, Autism Speaks, and others. And this has provided really valuable information for the committee to understand how well the recommendations in the strategic plan are being funded in terms of research. And so that's something that we do is we take the research projects and we actually categorize them against the strategic plan objectives, recommendations, and key priority areas. And then we provide that analysis back to the IACC, but it's also a public document that anyone can use. And we know that private organizations also look at that to get a sense of what's going on. And it's a we try to make it very transparent. We also created a database online, which is on our website. And anyone can go into that database and say you have a topic of interest, say you want to look at seizure disorders and autism, you can put keywords into the database and then pull up projects that are being funded on that topic. And so you can get an understanding. And if you're a researcher and you want to find collaborators that work on an issue that you want to work on, you can use that. So we created that as a tool for the public and for uh, federal agencies to use. So we do have a new version of the portfolio analysis report coming out shortly, and we're excited to, the, to bring that out. It uh, was delayed a little bit through the pandemic as a lot of organizations, I think, were slowed down a bit at that time, but we look forward to getting this information out there soon, and people will be welcome to go onto our uh, database as well, and we've tried to create interactive tools on there so you can understand the data. And our new report is going to contain for the first time, or it's going to include an at-a-glance version that is a shorter version that's a little bit more accessible that will have key facts and figures in it. So we hope that that accessibility tool will be helpful for people. So ASF uses it a lot, and we encourage anyone to use it. It's openly accessible. But we use it a lot to see what has happened to our grantees or our early grant ideas after, you know, we fund for X amount of time and we hope that the grantees go on to do bigger and better things within autism research. And so we're able to track additional funding that they got, what they're doing to ensure that, you know, thinking about whether they're staying in autism research, um, who they're collaborating with. So, um, but you can also see specifically, we also get a lot of questions about, oh, is the government, you know, who's looking at the microbiome in autism or who's looking at um, vitamin D in autism or whatever the question is, you can go online and easily see um, who's, who's doing what and um, get a little bit more information. So 
Um, I will put a link to that in the in the podcast summary as well. Um, yes, I'll be keeping a lookout for the new report that will be out soon. Okay. <laughs> um, so we've written this strategic plan. It's written. What happens next? How are how how what's the steps to to implement it, so to speak? So I've been meeting with the FIWA behind the scenes, and actually we just had a meeting of the FIWA yesterday. So this is all the federal agencies that work on autism and disability related issues that are relevant to the implementation of the strategic plan. And they're all aware of the strategic plan. Some of the members of FIWA are actually on the IACC, so they have up close and personal knowledge that way. But we also have representation on the FIWA of agencies that are not on the IACC. And so it's an opportunity to inform them of what's in there. And we work together with them on different aspects of implementation. And most agencies, I mean, all of those agencies are working on implementation on their own and they have different priority areas they are working on, for example, with the NIH, of course, they fund medical research. And so there are many different areas of medical research. The uh, NIH's portfolio spans all seven of the different question areas in the strategic plan. So there is always ongoing funding, but each agency also takes an interest in what's new in the uh, recommendations and whether there are gap areas that have been identified and how we can work together. And the agencies and departments have been increasingly collaborating and creating joint initiatives. And you'll probably notice this if you go to the section of our website that is the federal news. We actually collect press releases from across the federal government every single week, and we update that on a weekly basis. And you'll probably see in there, if you start looking at those press releases, how many different joint initiatives between, say, the Department of Housing and Urban Development and the Department of Health and Human Services on issues like housing or issues related to services that we have a lot of different joint activities going on. And so the FIWA gives us an opportunity to dig into some of these issues in a more detailed way behind the scenes and just ensure that uh, agencies are getting the opportunity to find out who might be good collaborators to help them on things and that we're addressing various issues. Yeah, I'm gonna put the, the, the link to the main page as well as the page that has the strategic plan and also the autism research database because I think it's important to see all the things that your office does. Um, it also includes recordings of past meetings um, and it also includes the um, summary of advances, summary of research advances. And so we, I didn't, I didn't prep you for this, but can you tell us the importance of this summary of of advances in research that your office kind of puts together? Yes. So this is a responsibility that's laid out in the Autism Cares Act that the IACC is to put together an annual summary of research advances for Congress to know what's happening in autism research, what are the latest advances. So we actually take time in IACC meetings to discuss nominations that the committee has for articles that represent important advances in autism research, whether it's services research or biomedical research. And we discuss those different articles that have been submitted. And at the end of the year, we collect all of them and let the IACC vote on the top 20. And once those 20 are identified, 
our office works uh, to try to develop narratives around the top 20 that are accessible in lay language that people can easily understand why this research is important. And we also list all the nominations in the back of the document and we create this, this volume that represents what the IACC has picked as their best for the year. And I know other organizations also do their top 10 or 20 or other picks. And Alicia, you may have something to say about that too. But we hope that these things help the community to understand what's going on in research, because I know not everyone has time to read PubMed all day or read all these articles personally. So hopefully these digests are helpful. So this goes to Congress. But by picking the top 20, they can get a sense and they can look over, you know, what the community, what the IACC, what what is what is important and what we should focus on. So I completely endorse the idea that there are different audiences for all of these things. And um, ASF may do it one way. And I know Autism Speaks does it a different way. But really, this is Congress and they need easily digestible bites Congress can see not only what's exciting going forward, but what has happened as a result of of autism research funding in the past in the past year. And I will say that we're kind of finalizing the the twenty twenty three list, and so that should be out in the next couple months. Um, and we'll right. share that on our social media page so you can see what's out for twenty twenty three. But I thoroughly believe that this is important for the congressional audience. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Anything that your office does? Anything that's coming up? Anything that um, the audience should be aware of? Um, I'm gonna post all these links on the podcast summary, but um, is there anything else you wanna mention? Yes, sure. So I can highlight our website. So the ICC website is a really rich website for the community and I'd encourage people to have a look at our website and you will find, for example, as I mentioned in the news section, we are capturing especially federal news press releases there on a weekly basis and trying to provide ones that we think are relevant to the autism community. So they may be autism specific or perhaps they are on disability related programs that are being run by the White House or being run by various agencies and departments that we think the autism community may want to know about. So we keep that updated at all times. We also have a section on our website for reports. So we have both autism reports and disability reports that are coming out from federal sources as well as some non-federal sources, but things that we think are important in informing the conversation around autism. And so that's another resource. We have a legislative section that we will probably be building out a little bit more as we go into this period for the reauthorization of the CARES Act. But we, in fact, are about to post links to the hearing that happened last week on the Autism CARES Act. And we, last time around with the reauthorization, we actually posted milestones in the process and people could easily just find the links in one place for all of that information. Uh, we also have an area on the website that is for resources, and we have six sections for resources right now that include an about autism section, um, a COVID-19 related section. We have something on housing, transition, and employment. And what we've done is we've collected information from across the different federal departments and agencies, and also from private organizations, 
and tried to collate those resources so people can say if someone's looking for information about autism and disability employment, they can go to that page and they can see exactly how many different agencies might have programs and find relevant links. They can find videos that might be posted about employment-related topics. They can find toolkits that might have been issued. So we are building out that section and we will have more sections that address more topics. But right now we have those topics there. So that's another feature as well as all of our reports are on our website, the link to the autism research database. And we will be building out more on autism related funding as well to make sure that people have a place to go if they want to find out who funds autism research. And we have a certain selection of funders listed right now, but we plan to expand that to include especially some of the newer funders that are starting to fund autism research so that those who are looking for grant funding can hopefully find what they're looking for. Uh, and one other thing that I'll mention you, you had asked about other things we do is we annually host a special event for Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. And this year we have an event coming up on April 16th. And I won't say more about what that event is going to be about, but it's going to be really special. We would definitely encourage you to uh, be watching for announcements from our office about that event. But in the past, we last year had an event about autistic artists and had an opportunity to really celebrate their accomplishments and the beauty that they're bringing to society with their talents. We've had sessions that were, uh, we had the Asperger's R Us Comedy Club, our comedy troupe. We've had uh, aut uh, women on the autism spectrum who had collaborated on a book together. So we just featured different people from the autism community and take that moment to do something that's not policy heavy. Uh, it's not an IACC meeting. It's something that's a little bit more cultural and giving people a chance to connect with people from the community with lived experience and maybe to just take a moment that isn't so heavy with policy issues and just enjoy what different autistic people or family members and other people from the community are adding to society and adding to our lives. And yeah. I can say that our event this year is going to include art and music. Oh, okay. It will, it will be really uh, a neat event and I'm really excited about it. So uh, we will be unveiling that soon, but stay tuned for that information. Thank that you so much for all of your time and everything that you do at the Office of National Autism Coordination. It's um, not it's not an easy job. I'm sure it's something that you get a new challenge every day, but it's absolutely necessary. Um, so thank you. Thank you. It's such a privilege to work with the autism community. And it's something I enjoy and look forward to every day to connecting with people on the spectrum, family members, advocacy groups, different federal agencies that are all dedicated to the purpose of trying to help make life better for people on the autism spectrum and their families. So I know that my whole team feels this way too. I have an amazing dedicated team and we all genuinely care about this issue and feel excited every time there's a little bit of progress made. So please continue to send in your thoughts and comments and share and know that the IACC is reading those comments and we 
really value everybody's input into this process. So thank you so much for this opportunity to share. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. And I will be sure to, um, when you have your some more information about your event in April, we will definitely share it. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you.